0: The following live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati is presented by agamayoga.com Namaste and good evening to all of you. Tonight in the satsang I want to take advantage still of the Easter period. We are placed right now in between the two Easters the three Easter's actually that we celebrate in this school. Last Sunday we made the meditation for the Catholic and Protestant generally called the Western Easter. And next Sunday is coming the Eastern Easter, the Easter of the Orthodox churches of Russia, Greece and so on, as well as of the Coptic church of, Egypt and a few other churches which celebrate together with the Orthodox. This difference in the calendar is coming due, is is resulting due to an unresolved conflict regarding calendar. The Western Hemisphere started using faster than the Eastern part of Europe the so-called Gregorian calendar until somewhere in the 15th century, the both churches, the whole humanity, the whole Europe at least, was using the Julian calendar, which came from the Roman times. And then due to astronomical reasons, there was need to do some adjustment. And the Catholic Church, which was in the West more rationalistic, more scientific and there were the dawns of the Renaissance and Galileo Galilei and the stuff like this they reverted to a more astronomical calendar which other countries did not do especially the Orthodox countries because they had some sort of grudge with the Catholics on religious issues they simply said yeah The Catholics are demonstrating once more that they believe more in Galileo Galilei than in God and in the old-fashioned things, and therefore they simply refused it. It is for this reason that the Russian Revolution happened in October, and it was called Red October, the Revolution of October, but actually it was celebrated on the 7th of November because this difference of 13 days came because Russia converted to the Gregorian calendar only in 1918 or 19, after the Bolsheviks took over and they killed the Tsar, and then they decided that Russia should be like all the other European countries, and they changed the calendar by decree. So due to some of these calendar things and others, which I don't want to insist, the Easter of the main religious directions is actually happening in, at two different dates. Approximately once every seven years, the Easter happens simultaneously. And those Easter's are very rich, very powerful because the whole Christianity celebrates it at that time. Otherwise, it's like half and half or something like this. Now, here because we are an international community and there are people coming from both directions we are uh, celebrating both of them in terms of numbers of people celebrating it i personally my personal evaluation if i remember correctly from what i read is that the catholic and protestant western easter uh, co- concerns more people than the eastern european one So many people ask me, why don't we just focus on one of them? Because as you said, Jesus is going to answer to you anyway. So why not just simplify things and focus on one of them? There is an issue, and that issue is precisely what is called the holy light or the holy fire ceremony that is advertised on our calendar for Saturday, not Sunday, at 5 p.m., which corresponds to 12 p.m. on the time zone of Jerusalem. So it corresponds to midday time in Jerusalem. At that time, there happens, let's make it simple, an annual miracle. Many of you are living in the thing and saying all this yoga and spirituality is I have lots of doubts. And uh, I think if Jesus would be here to raise some dead or to walk on water, or if Swami would levitate 50 centimeters above his seat for 30 minutes, then I would start believing that this yoga is actually something. Because like this I have lots of doubts that there are lots of things which go or don't go. So people are always of the opinion that if you would see something paranormal or miraculous, it would increase your faith in other things, which is bizarre. It's like the brain is transferring the awe from one of those to belief in some other of those. Like ultimately, if Jesus could walk on water, this does not demonstrate that he was the son of God. According to the yogis of India, if Jesus walked on water, It demonstrates that he had a perfect Svadhisthana chakra and 100% control over the water element. Because that's what makes possible walking on water. So it doesn't demonstrate that somebody is the son of God if somebody just has a paranormal ability. Therefore, here we are having a very weird aspect of the human psychology. That people say that they want to see something to be convinced. And then it's both yes and no. It's definitely true that if Jesus walked on water and raised the dead and healed the blind and the lepers, some people are still talking about it and say that guy was the real thing, while some people shrug their shoulders and they say it's probably a fabrication. I don't believe because I haven't seen it with my own eyes. And many people say even if you'd see it with your own eyes, You can go to David Blaine or David Copperfield or others like them see them walking on water on the Thames or in swimming pools and flying through the air and you don't know how the heck they do it like there are magicians today who do things such as David Copperfield crossing through the Great Wall of China walking right through the Great Wall of China and therefore what I'm trying to tell here is um, There are many people who say even if you see it, you don't know. The research on spiritism done by William Crookes and Arthur Conan Doyle and Camille Flammarion and others revealed that many of these spiritist mediums, four out of five were hoaxes. There were people who tried to cheat bitterly for vested interests. And still there were 20% of them who could not be Red-handed. And the question is if they were smarter than the scientists investigating them, or if they really produced paranormal phenomena. That's why this thing that people say, I would like to see paranormal phenomena, it's a very weird thing because even when you see them, the mental monkey says, Yeah, but maybe there is a David Copperfield trick to this. And on the other hand, Even at the time of Jesus, you know, there is, for those of you who know a little bit about the life of Jesus or saw the Mel Gibson movie called The Passion of the Christ, you know that there is the story that Jesus is accused, condemned, then he is whipped 40 times, the maximum number of lashes the Roman Empire could give, because if you went more than 40, the person would start dying, basically. And uh, Jesus got all that. And then between that and crucifixion, he was hit, he was spat upon, he was mocked in various ways by all sorts of imbeciles. The story of the Christian church, maybe you don't know this, that's a tradition which is unanimous in the Orthodox and Catholic Church, is that one of the people who beat Jesus, who hit him with a fist during that mob, because it was a mob. He was simply mobbed by a number of people who were subservient to the Roman administration and subservient to the Jewish priests of the time and who agreed that this man is a blasphemer who somehow manages to do some very funny and clever tricks, but ultimately he was not from God and he was to be punished and rebuked. And among the people who believed this, one of the people who did this was the last but one person to whom jesus gave sight like one of the blind people healed by jesus where jesus is telling him see that no worse than that will happen to you because people said why did this guy get blind because of his parents sin or because of his own sin and jesus is dismissing it like this is a rubbish idea And he says, it's not because of this or that, it's just to show the glory of God, but you guys pay attention that no worse will happen to you. And that person apparently, although healed by blindness, he got convinced by the Jewish priests that although he had been healed, he had been healed by the power of the demons, so it was not a kosher healing. It was not a good healing. And because of this, he healed by blindness by Jesus. Later, a few weeks later, hit him and spat on him and was one of the torsionists of Jesus so what I'm saying is that people who saw miracles if their heart was hardened it didn't do it didn't make any difference really so that's why some yogis from India they say all these miracles maybe Jesus was sent to do about 20 or 200 or 2,000 major miracles And it did serve some purpose because it created a rumor around this man. But on the other hand, those who were possessed by the devil, their soul didn't move. Their soul still remained imprisoned in their wicked attitude. And Jesus could have done three times more miracles and these people would have still crucified him or mocked him or something because they thought that this man was not the real thing. That's why this thing with the miracles, it's always a very arguable issue, especially among the yogis who have studied the human mind and psyche and the chakras and the levels of consciousness. And um, to make this long story short, to come back to the point where we started from, the point is that many people say that that they would like to see a sort of a miracle because you hear... There is a movie that uh, the Virgin Mary appeared in Fatima in Portugal in 19-something. And there is another rumor that Virgin Mary appeared to Medjugore in Croatia for a number of years that there were some apparitions. But the whole thing was very, very difficult to put the finger on it to like really have a sort of a scientific evidence or something. So people still remain nostalgic about this. Well, I've got good news for you. There is a miracle which happens every year on the Saturday before the Easter day in Jerusalem. Visible. The bad news are that it's almost impossible for you to get in there because the world got rumors about it. And unless you have some excellent connections either in Israel or in the Orthodox Church of one of the Eastern European countries, you won't make it there. There are like hundreds of thousands of people who try to be in that space where about 10,000 people can be present. So allegedly, but not all 10,000 people have good vantage points, about 5,000 people actually see it, and many are so knocked out and so confused that sometimes they get into some very difficult places. I will explain and you are going to see some videos of this. That's why I brought the video, because an image is worth a thousand words. So the first bad news is that if you really want to see it with your own eyes, you'll have to exert a lot of push. The second bad news is that because of the law of silence, which you are being told about in the first level lecture about Svadhyaya, all the informations which would potentially rock the human blockages and limitations and change the karma of everybody spectacularly, such as somebody comes and takes ten cancer patients and in three weeks he heals all ten of them permanently for the next ten years under medical supervision and all that. Somebody would do that. This will change the cancer industry on the face of this earth for a long period, forever, basically. And therefore, this doesn't happen. Because every year, millions and millions of people are dying of cancer. Some of them die in unspeakable pain and suffering, which means that those many, many millions of people are paying a terrible physical karma, because most probably they themselves in this life or in a previous one they tortured people, they killed people, they did similar acts. And because of this, this karma simply cannot stop. It cannot stop because George Oshava says we can heal it by a rice diet. It's true that a rice diet can stop cancer in its track and sometimes even be a part of the healing process. But, although George Oshawa demonstrated it, he was condemned to prison in America and treated as a pariah, and the method exists, and the more years pass, people forget about macrobiotics and George Oshawa, and slowly, slowly, you can be sure that if nothing miraculous happens, the method of George Oshawa and the life story of George Oshawa will be covered by dust and forgotten on a shelf of a library and people will continue dying of cancer. In yoga, this is called the wall of silence, that every time when there is an apparition of aliens, a f- mm, paranormal phenomenon like somebody bending spoons with their eyes, a miracle, a cancer cure, it's covered, it's hushed down. There is like a scarring process. You cut yourself with a knife and in two weeks it's closed and it's just a scar. And in two years, you can't see that scar almost anymore. Like nature has a way of covering its tracks to keep people prisoner in Maya. Like too many miracles, too visible, would make people take spiritual and religious decisions very easily. And because of this, people are always kept in the, the people are kept in the doubt. That's why the second bad news is that although this miracle does happen every year, even if you will be present there, it's very difficult to see. There are just some glimpses like in a trance. It's almost like you catch a few things like this and many people miss it altogether for a variety of reasons. I remember that I've been there, I've had the grace to witness this thing twice in my life physically being there, not by video, of course video today is a great thing, but most videos are really bad. It's like the people who take those videos are hit with a hammer on their head and they film all the imbecilic, stupid things instead of filming what might be relevant and a miracle. You'll see, I'll show you. And then what basically, I remember having been there and then when it was all over and people were in a, state of chaos and confusion, because it generates, as you'll see on video, it generates an extreme excitement and a very chaotic energy. Not really chaotic, but like very all over the place, rather, kind of thing. And I met with another guy, you know, and uh, I was talking, we were walking shoulder to shoulder, and this guy was trying to convince me that it was all a hoax, and it, he had seen it with his own eyes that it was a hoax. And he had just been standing just beside me. And I had seen exactly the same thing which he had seen. He was also one head shorter than me. So I had a bigger vantage point than him. I could see more than he saw. And actually it hadn't been a hoax at all. Whatever he said was nonsense. But he could swear to me that it had been a nonsense and a cheating. And he had been just one meter away from me. Therefore, the, the second bad news is that even if you would be able to watch this thing firsthand, you would have to have a yogic concentration, like an Ajna Chakra type of Trataka to look through it and not be fooled because the Maya is very strong and the wall of silence makes it like now you see it, now you don't. And if you didn't catch it, then you say, Uh, what this is very important to remember this uh, miracle is happening always at 12 o'clock on the Saturday before Easter 12 o'clock Jerusalem time it happens in only one place on the face of this earth and that place is the tomb of Jesus the tomb of Jesus is a little chapel which is wrapped in a bigger block of building to make it more protected. And this little chapel, which is about like, couldn't describe it, like 10 meters by or 12 meters by 8 or something like this. This little chapel is in the middle of a huge church, of another church. So it's a church in a church, which is in the old city in Jerusalem. Uh, It happens only there, and uh, one of the very controversial things is that it happens only in relationship to the Orthodox Easter. Like, it never happens with the other Easter. And um, this is a politically incorrect factor because the Orthodox monks and uh, clergy and people, they use this phenomenon as one of their main arguments, to demonstrate that the Catholics and later the Protestants and all the others, they have turned wrong in the year 1000 and that the Orthodox Church is the real Church of God, proof being that God gives them a great miracle every year on Easter. And the other ones don't get it, so they should repent and come back like the repentant son, like the prodigal son, and kind of rejoin the original church, which according to them (coughs) would be the Orthodox Church. This makes that you don't hear about it in the West too much because there is no Western church that has any interest to popularize this one because actually it is used as a slap in the face to say your church doesn't have as much grace as our church has and God is with us, which, of course, is, uh, again, both a politically incorrect thing, and one cannot carry any scientific demonstration about this as well. So it's a bit of a nonsense statement, but for some deeply religious people, it makes a difference. Apparently, this phenomenon of light started happening around the year 350, when the Empress Helena, the mother of Emperor Constantine, was a devout Christian, first imperial person in the Roman Empire who was of Christian orientation, at that time there was no Orthodox and Catholic Church. They were one till the year 1060 or so. So uh, this empress called Helena, she found the tomb of Jesus. she found the cross of Jesus. And many things happened, and then people started coming in pilgrimage to the tomb of Jesus. It's the first time, the first period when Jerusalem became a Christian pilgrimage point. And then this phenomenon of light started manifesting. It has been quoted throughout history, and precisely because this thing with the Orthodox and the others, it has suffered lots of phenomena. I just quote for you two, so you can see that um, this process has undergone lots of scrutiny, and today, when you are going to see the video, you're going to see that the people who deal with it, the authorities, they are dealing with it light-handed, because we are in the 21st century, and people are supposed to behave civilized, and there are world congresses of religions, where everybody shakes hand and says, actually. We are not so bitter enemies as uh, we used to be. And there is a lot of politics and diplomacy and so on. But uh, 100 years ago and 200 years ago and 300 years ago, people were not wearing their kid gloves when it came to religious issues. And because of this the this process, this phenomenon of the holy light, had undergone lots of persecution. For example, in one year, There was a phenomenon which, the most famous of this phenomena was that, uh, if I remember correctly, it was the Armenian Patriarch. Armenia has a different church, the National Armenian Church, which today is aligned, if I remember correctly, with the Catholic Church. The Catholics consider it a version or a branch of the Catholic Church. So the Armenian national, I might be wrong, Uh, it doesn't matter, the Armenian church, the Armenians were very good businessmen and they had lots of money in the Middle East and um, they were irritated by the fact that um, this process is happening only to the Orthodox and they took it like a slap in the face. And because they had the money and the Manipura, they simply went to the Ottoman ruler because the Jerusalem area was under the Ottoman Empire jurisdiction and of course the Muslims were not really friendly to any Christian thing so seeing that two Christian denominations they fight with each other it made them happy like divide and rule right so it's kind of it's okay if these guys are arguing we are going to support the underdog the contender not to just make the chaos as big as possible So the Ottoman Empire, which was anyway very eager at this thing, uh, they took a lot of money from the Armenians, and the Armenian patriarch said the holy light is not coming to the Orthodox. The holy light is coming on the Saturday before Easter in that place. And because these guys have jurisdiction over this building, they claim that it comes to them, but it doesn't come to them. It comes at the right time in the right place. So if we would be servicing at that very hour, it would come to us. And that would demonstrate very clearly (coughs) that uh, this is not about the Orthodox Church. So the Ottoman ruler, they forbade the patriarch of the Constantinopolis, the Christian patriarch, to even enter the church, even the big church. He was held by the soldiers outside at the door. And the Armenians went inside and they operated their ritual. And the fact which happened and is famous throughout history is that this light, because there is a light which comes, this light went into the tomb, which is a building with walls. It somehow got out of a tomb like a laser beam. It like it bounced off the tomb of Jesus and it bounced exactly at the door of the church where it hit one of the marble columns which are on the side of the entrance. It hit the left one and the marble column started burning with fire. Marble, as you know, never burns. It burned so badly that the marble cracked because of the heat and that marble column which is blackened by fire And cracked still exists as a witness of this event and so the light didn't come in the tomb where the Armenian guy was it came near the door exactly where this guy was held at bay and he then he could dip his candle into that fire lift it up and announce happily Christ is risen so this is the kind and uh, just as a picturesque detail to see that that's a story Of the real kind actually the two patriarchs argued about it because the Ottoman ruler wanted to see them quarreling and the Orthodox patriarch told him it's not going to come to you this is my faith that's what I know he said and the other guy said it is so the Orthodox plus and he said what will you do if it doesn't come to you and he said I'm going to eat shit in front of everybody so the Orthodox had actually prepared a bowl full of shit full of excrement which he duly had to eat in front of the Ottoman uh, militia you know, because he actually made a false claim so the story of this event is full of picturesque and controversial things like this by which uh, w- which is very partinic you know which shows that this belongs to just uh, like the Orthodox, get something out of it. Now you would want, before you see the video, which will prepare you for this meditation, because I think this moment is extremely powerful in the annual things, and it is a real miracle, but very difficult to seize, as I said. I think uh, I will describe to you what it consists of. On Friday evening, the... Church authorities, they celebrate a ritual, which is the funeral ritual of Christ. For those of you who remember, Christ died on Friday, and he died just shortly before sunset. And then, uh, Joseph of Arimathea provided a shroud, and they quickly embalmed him, because they had to, because at sunset, it was Friday, 6 p.m., and after sunset, The Sabbath was starting. The Jewish Sabbath where it was prohibited to do a lot of things. So they had to bury Jesus in emergency way before the sunset. So they had like half an hour to do it. So they took Jesus, they wrapped him in a linen cloth, they sprinkled it with aloe vera and other uh, balms and uh, uh, herbs that were used for this in the Jewish funeral rituals and they dumped him in a tomb which was offered by one of the rich people of Jerusalem he said you can use that tomb I offer you that tomb so they put him there and then it was over and therefore the Christian churches to memorize this to to remember this on Friday evening they make a ritual in which they do like a mock funeral for Jesus it's in in the Philippines they crucify themselves really on crosses and they do lots of spectacular things Some religious communities are very colorful when it comes to this Friday, the the Big Friday things. So then what is happening in Jerusalem is like this. They do this ritual and then uh, representatives of three or four religions, which means one Armenian, one Jew, one Muslim, and I forgot who else, Uh, Therefore, people who have no interest to condone the Christian religion, so they would like very much to demonstrate that the whole thing is a fabrication. So people who have a vested interest against all this story, they make a thorough search of the tomb. The tomb of Christ is made of two rooms, an antechamber, which is called the angel's chamber, consecrated to the archangel Michael, who produced the resurrection phenomenon, and the actual tomb, which is a very, very small room with just a tombstone and uh, just enough space to kneel in front of it. And it's a pilgrimage place, so it's extremely crowded and all that. So, um, the process is that these four people, they go and check thoroughly. It's a very simple stone habitation, so that they make sure that no... Fire producing instruments are in there. Like there shouldn't be anything that could produce fire in there, including fuel, phosphorus, chem- weird chemicals that can ignite. And all the lights in that tomb are put off. Like even the oil lamps and everything is put off. When they finish searching and they are satisfied, they seal the door. They, you will see it. They apply a huge wax seal on the door where all of them put their stamp to verify that the door is sealed. And soldiers belonging to those communities, guardsmen, are guarding the tomb to make sure that nobody breaks the seal and gets in. And then the next day, Saturday, at 12 o'clock, the Orthodox Patriarch, this means uh, in Orthodoxy is not like in in the Catholic Church. it's not just one pope. They are patriarchs which correspond pretty much to every nation, to every national community. So there is a patriarch of Constantinople, which is corresponding to Greece. There is a patriarch of Jerusalem, which corresponds to the Holy Land. There is a patriarch of Moscow for Russia. There is a patriarch of Romania. And if I remember correctly, there must be a Serbian or some a patriarch there. There are about five patriarchs or maybe more and uh, the, the patriarch which is chosen usually the patriarch of Jerusalem he comes there the seal is verified in front of all the witnesses like nobody has sneaked in that tomb that tomb is guarded by a thousand eyes basically and in the old days you can imagine how tough the verifications were because really if there would have been a scam both the Ottoman rulers and the other communities which felt frustrated by this ceremony, they would all wa- would have liked very much to demonstrate that this is a scam and not the real thing. So they verify the seal, they break the seal, and then the patriarch is, uh, takes off all his garments and he remains in a shirt, basically, and his body checked. Today, this body checking is a bit more delicate, like if any one of you wants to be cynical, would say, oh, I read this book Papillon by Henri Charrier, and this guy who was a prisoner in Guyana. They were hiding money and all sorts of things in metallic tubes uh, popped up their asses, you know. Is somebody checking the patriarch up his ass to make sure that he didn't hit there some matches in a little secret container? Uh, nowadays I presume not but I presume that 300 years yes 300 years ago probably yes because people didn't have the scruples which they have today about uh, personal dignity and stuff like this so basically the patriarchs undergoes a total body check and then he is released inside inside there is no match no source of power The patriarch has with him a goblet of gold, which you are going to see in the film, like a sort of a world football cup or something like this. It's just a goblet made of gold. And in that goblet, there is cotton, a sort of a natural cotton, which looks like this medicinal cotton, white, fluffy white stuff. He gets inside the tomb. And from now on, actually, what I'm telling to you, cannot be demonstrated scientifically. Why? Because nobody is allowed in there. So from now it's like a black box. In engineering and in physics and chemistry there is a principle which says things are like a black box. Like you know what comes in and you know what comes out. But what is the box made of you don't know. That's what engineers are working with reverse engineering To find out the characteristics of a circuit or something. So it's a black box. From now on I can tell you only what the patriarch says. That it happens. But it could be a lie. And I can tell you what is seen from outside. Patriarch's version is. He gets inside. He makes a special prayer. He takes this cotton. And puts it on the tomb. On the tombstone the tombstone is cut specially that it has some channels like for running water it's like when you collect rain it's like some channels which collect liquid in a spot so in that spot he lays he unrolls he unfolds this roll of cotton which is like about this thick and fluffy and he is putting it on the stone and then he starts praying Meanwhile, outside the Christian Arab communities from Bethlehem and other Palestinian cities, they unleash hell in the meaning that everybody in the church is sloshed out. When I saw it in 95, the only way to see this was if you got in, the, in that church Friday around 5 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the phenomenon happening next day at 12 o'clock and the ceremony lasting until 1 or 2 o'clock, basically you had to stand. It was very difficult to sit because you are like in a, in a subway, you know, you are jammed by 10,000 people. So there are no places to sit really and you have to stand for 22 hours or 23 hours without eating without going to the toilet there is a toilet but it's far away and it's an adventure and you might not be able to come back because of the jam and uh, you don't have liquid unless you take a bottle of water with you so it's like a it was an act like you have to really do it today the Israeli government trying to alleviate this they invented a system according to which you have to have a special permit and that special permit is very difficult to get and uh, you are going there at 6 o'clock or at 5 o'clock in the morning. And then the military form barrages everywhere. The, the, the old city is locked in that day and in that night because everybody is trying to get in there. There are hundreds of thousands of people who try to get in there. And then if you have that blessed permit, then they allow you to go to one of the entrances in a queue. And then approximately at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or so, they allow you to go in the church. Still, people like when I did that in 2006, I think, I woke up at 3 o'clock and still I had to sit in endless queues in the night and a lot of stress, a lot of pushing and so on. And you didn't know if, you, if they were allowing you or not. It was a lot of uncertainty. So basically by 12 o'clock, when you had to be full on, you were sloshed. That's one of the things which is happening. People, by 12 o'clock, when it's supposed to start, they are already wasted by effort. And then these Christian communities from the Middle East, they have a special allotted. They have a scaffold built on the outside of the tomb, and they go on this scaffold like birds on a wire, on several wires. And then some of them, as you are going to see, get on the shoulders of each other. It's only men who do that. And they start singing. And their singer, their songs, are like pouring fire in the veins of everybody. It's like everybody is knocked out. And it's like these people generate such an energy, I've seldom seen anything. They shout. They sing with a very high voice. And their songs are prayers, simple primitive prayers, for calling for Jesus to come again this year, to show up. And they are asking God, please send us the light. There is a superstition, a paranoid superstition in the Christian environment that in the day when this light will not come anymore, then the end of the world is close, is nigh. So everybody is afraid that maybe this year is the year where the light won't come, because there is no way to really push it or do anything about it. So this Arab community, about 20 people with drums, they go on the shoulders of everybody and they sing, dia, 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 and it's like, and they create an incredible energy in the whole church. You'll see the atmosphere. And in that time, they are waiting for the patriarch, and the patriarch goes inside there. And after the patriarch has gone inside there and he has made this prayer, and these guys did their they are very barbaric, very mulatharistic, manipuristic songs, like they bring a very vital thing, they are very savage people and uh, the police had a lot of trouble with them because they are very their temperament is like don't stop us, right now we are on a mission from God, you know and it's like they they feel that they are entitled to the attention of the whole world right then, and then the last the last step of this from outside is that all this congregation of people who are not blocked by the, some metallic fences, they start making a singing prayer while they walk three times around the tomb, which is a little building. So they make a ceremony, a circumambulation. This circumambulation takes approximately two minutes per cycle. So it takes about six minutes to do. During this circumambulation, towards the end of it, something weird starts happening. First, outside. The weather changes. It has witnessed that every year, the sky looks exactly the same in that minute. It's a mixture of thin clouds, which produce corona rainbows, circular rainbows, and sunshine. And there is a gentle wind. These three elements are always there. Gentle wind, sunshine, but not cruel sunshine, (coughs) a sunshine filtered by a haze of clouds. That's how it appears. That's what people who are outside of the church see. In the church, this sunshine, because it's 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, the sunshine is somewhere up there, and there is a special window made in the roof. It's a gigantic vault in the big church, up, up, up there. And there is a window, you are going to see it filmed, And through that window, like a beam of light is coming in from the sunshine. You would say, but what if there are dark rain clouds? Apparently, they have never been on that day at that hour. So it's also a meteorological miracle because you can predict how if there are clouds, half an hour before, they dissipate, they disappear. And every time, you just get this hazy sunshine. That light... And here, we are getting into the place where the witnesses differ, as you are going to see on the video. (coughs) Some people see that this light is becoming hypnotic, stronger, more intense. And at some point, when some people start seeing it, the whole church, as you are going to see, starts howling. About 90% of the people in the church, they don't know why they are howling. They are howling because everybody else is howling, but they haven't seen anything special. Some people who are more observant or who do a trataka, they start seeing that something changes and there starts being a light in the air. That light has a slight bluish haze. What's happening inside, which is not demonstrable, that's what the patriarch says, says that in the moment when this light starts coming in, there basically appears a bright haze just above the tomb of Jesus, like a fog, a dense cloud of fog, which is bright and slightly bluish. And that that fog, in approximately 30 seconds, it condenses exactly like dewdrops in the morning. It becomes a liquid, and that liquid impregnates the cotton. And if it's somewhere else, it's collected by those channels, and it makes this cotton wet. And if it's not enough, the patriarch moves the cotton on the tomb, on the tombstone, and makes it soaked in that liquid. And then he takes that wet cotton and puts it in this gold goblet. He says a prayer, because there is this aureola of light in there. And when he says the prayer and he breathes on it, it bursts into flames. And then he immediately moves out to the antechamber where there are two holes on the lateral in the walls and two people are waiting for it. And he goes to one hole and gives the light to one of them, goes to the other and gives the light to the second of them. And those people start running like desperate through the church. There is a corridor left for them. It's a huge church. They start running, screaming of their lungs, Christ has risen, you know, like it has happened again. And then the patriarch comes out the door, because he was alone in this. And he opens the doors, and he has this burning goblet with light, and he gives this light to others. And then everybody in the church takes this light. They are not satisfied with one candle, and they have bunches of 33 little candles, because Jesus was 33 years old when he died. And you cannot imagine what's happening in a building, when five to 10,000 people light 33 candles, each one of them. It's like you're going to see. It becomes like inimaginable. And of course, breathing becomes a problem and so on. <clears throat> what is happening outside is this. In the moment when this blue haze starts appearing, and apparently it goes inside the tomb inexplicably, interesting, bizarre phenomena of light, happen there start appearing lights which move around exactly like laser beams or like you would shoot a bullet in a closed room and the bullet would bounce off the walls only its beams of light today it's very very difficult to see it because everybody brings flashes photo flashes (coughs) and when 5,000 people start flashing their flashes it makes it even more difficult to see it (coughs) people who saw it a hundred years ago witness that it was crystal clear (coughs) because nobody in the church has no candle or no light. So one thing which happens, don't I don't need that. One thing which happens is that there is a mysterious light which appears, many, many lights, not just one, through the church. A little bit like in Indiana Jones and the Ark, the Lost Ark, you know, there's something which starts moving and people say that's the Holy Spirit. It's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God. And one of the very interesting things which happens is that people, and I've seen it with my own eyes, I know it happens, people who are throughout the church from different communities, some of them around the tomb and some of them not, some of them on the first balcony, like 25 meters away, on a balcony, on a circular balcony, and some of them on the second balcony, which is really, really high up, and so on. These people... There are some of them, approximately 10 people in the church out of 10,000, their candles spontaneously burst into flames. Like you are waiting to get light, but before it gets to you, this mysterious flash thing, and suddenly you find yourself that your candle is a light without you having put a match on it or without anybody having given you light. This fire which appears, as you will see some people try to demonstrate on video, Apparently, for about three, four minutes, it doesn't burn. Like, you can put your hand in it, you can put your face in it. It's a fire which looks like any other fire, but it doesn't burn. It doesn't have any burning effect on the human flesh or on the human being. Apparently, after three, four minutes, it decays out of that, and it becomes normal fire. This fire is so valued that in Greece and some other highly religious Orthodox countries they take this light at 1 o'clock or something when it appears they put it in half an hour it's in Tel Aviv in an in the airport and with a charter jet it is flown directly to Athens where priests patriarchs politicians and so on they are waiting for it and that fire will be used at midnight at the Easter ceremony throughout the main Greek churches so this fire is considered to be the real deal Because it's not a fire ignited by a human hand. It's a fire ignited by the Holy Spirit. It's a fire ignited by God. Many people see that, that candles burst into flames. Sometimes above the tomb of Jesus at the entrance, there are two oil lamps. And those oil lamps also burst into flames by themselves exactly at that minute. Exactly when people start howling, that howling lasts about two minutes. People go berserk because this light thing start happening. Some people see this light very clearly. Some people don't see it very clearly. And uh, as I told you, I was together with a guy who was ready to swear to me that he saw a nun bringing a lit candle and sneaking it to the patriarch in the chapel. Like I said, this, this thing has been sealed for one day and a half and there are 20 people here who are willing to expose this as a scam, and you are just telling me that a nun came with a regular candle through the church in the view of 10,000 people and just sneaked it into the patriarch because it was not working. The guy could swear on it. This is, it was for me, such an interesting exemplification of the wall of silence. Today, there are video cameras which are placed in vantage points and so on, what is interesting is that only in one documentary you are going to see a monk, a Greek monk, who actually managed to catch two or three such of these phenomena of light. He actually caught it on video. But there is a studio called Angelus Studio or something like this in Jerusalem who films it every year, and these guys film like they are morons. Like every year they film it, they have a permit to go in there, and they film only stupidities. I have seen their ceremony filmed for 10 years. I have recordings of 10 successive years. And in none of them, they could catch even one second of the light, of this mysterious light. So then why do you film it? To film people? To film the patriarch? To film the Israeli police? To film why? And I was like, that's completely uninteresting, really. The interesting thing is, that there is a paranormal phenomenon where a light appears abnormally, paranormally, and it produces the phenomena which I have told to you now. That's the description of the process, and it is considered to be one of the reliable miracles of the 21st century. It happens every year, and this year it's going to happen Saturday at 5 p.m. Thai time at 12 at noon, uh, at uh, Israel, Israel Jerusalem time so um, to confirm it before we go further I don't know how much time I'll have but because an image is worth a thousand words there will be two videos the first clip which is this short one called holy light one uh, this one is about 20 something minutes long maybe I won't play the whole of it It's very interesting to see it psychologically because, for example, the the last person is a bit of a hysterical old woman and she pretends that the stones of the tomb became transparent and she could see through and I've been there two times and nothing became transparent. So she might have just been hysterical and overexcited. So that's why there are different people who get different things from this. Unfortunately, this is... um, Uh, This documentary is made by the Greeks, so it's in Greek language, and that's why it's imperious for all of you who want to understand to come closer and to see the subtitles, because they are English subtitles. You won't be able to see it from far. It's not an English documentary. So this is going to show a little bit of what is happening in the approach After I finish this short documentary, I'm going to tell you some, fine, uh, some final conclusion words, depending on how many minutes are left there. In this way, I prepare you for the video. Saturday at 4.30, 30 minutes of recordings, clips of 10 minutes are going to be played. For those of you who never saw it, if you don't see it tonight or if you want to get inspired. And at 5 o'clock, I come and we do a Jesus Um, meditation. I will have to explain to you what's the story about the light, why this light thing is there because there is a metaphysical, very powerful reason for that. Until then, see a broadcast done by Greek television. Again, in Greece this thing is really big. The prime minister is waiting at the airport for this light just a few hours after it happened in Jerusalem. It's It's almost a state act. Go for it. This was a live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati. For more information, visit us on agamayoga.com or go directly to agamayoga.com downloads.